0: All right, this week we are going to talk about, well, what the pastor does all week. You know, he kind of spends the whole week just hanging out, gets up late, maybe he makes a pot of coffee, sips it till like noon, maybe reads the newspaper. And, you know, Saturday night kind of opens the Bible and figures out what he's going to preach on, right? No, <laughs> wrong, absolutely wrong. And that's what we're going to find out. But today's guest is one that, well, I may have the face for radio He definitely has the voice for it. (laughs) Welcome to The Rap
1: Report with Andrew Rapaport. where we provide biblical interpretations and applications. This is the ministry of Striving for Eternity and the Christian podcast community. For more content or to request a speaker for your church, go to strivingforeternity.org. All
0: right, so we have none other than Pastor Gabe Hughes. You may know him from... A, his voice, he is the voice of what, and I probably can't do that right, but what.com, <laughs> which is W-W-U-T-T, which stands for When We Understand the Text. There's a lot of videos out there, but he is also the pastor of First Southern Baptist Church in Junction City, Kansas, so Pastor Gabe, welcome. Thank you so much. Thanks for uh, for
2: inviting me on. It's not uh, not often that I get all the way to the East Coast and even to Jersey, but uh, <laughs> through the uh, through the advent of technology, able to join you today. And I appreciate your
0: invitation. That's about the only way anyone wants to get to Jersey is through the <laughs> technology. You know, I I joke that all good things come out of Jersey. It's the stuff that stays that's a problem. Ah, there you like go, politicians. Um, <laughs> As I describe the, the week of a pastor, right? Isn't that what your week looks like? Usually, you know, you just kind of sit around and then Saturday night you figure out what yeah. you to preach on, right?
2: <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Then the kids go to bed Saturday night and I go, okay, wait, I got to preach tomorrow. Let me go see if I can find something. Uh, no, actually, it's funny that you mentioned that because just yesterday, which at, at this particular time, we're recording on a Monday. So yesterday after church, um, I had uh, a couple of things that I did in the afternoon. I came home, uh, Becky made the most incredible beautiful, BLT that I think I've ever had. It, it may have been the most amazing bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich. So she fixed lunch for us on Sunday, and then right after that, I had a meeting. And for about the first hour of of that meeting, uh, I wasn't doing anything. So they were they were doing some other stuff, and I'm kind of sitting there. So I pulled out my laptop and uh, and started prepping the next week's sermon. <laughs> so it was it was just three hours after having finished that uh, that sermon yesterday that I'm already preparing the one for the next week. So uh, yeah, I, I sit in it and I and I stew in it, and uh, and the Lord works on my heart and I know exactly what it is I'm going to preach on because I'm an expository preacher so it's just the next section in whatever book that we're going through and uh, and the Lord will convict my heart about those things that I'm studying and reading about and then what I've been convicted over over the course of whether it's that week or you know the last several months that I've been studying in that particular book then I take those same convictions into the pulpit and I bring it to my congregation and so I hope that for the next week they're convicted about the stuff that I was convicted about in the previous week as the word of God works on our hearts and we're shaped more and more into the image of Christ by the word of God that is spoken.
0: Wait, you you expect your congregation to remember what you preached last week? <laughs> pull something out of that i, I hope that
2: uh, and that's going to be the work of the spirit since you know as americans we just busy ourselves with tons of stuff and we we love our distractions on top of that so uh, may there be something in this word that the lord is working on your mind and heart to make you more like him
0: yeah because i i think you just struck on one of the hardest things i think for a pastor in america is the the busyness of of American culture. Mm-hmm. I, I know at our church it's it's one of the things that comes up often constantly we're discussing how to how to do things when everyone's being stretched in a thousand different directions.
2: Yeah, yeah, especially yeah, especially if you got kids and and your kids are involved in all their extracurricular activities, so it's always easy to fill up a schedule. And but in addition to that, you know, we we use that term busy, but there are umpteen million distractions that come our way as well, especially with all the different streaming media that's available to us today, whether that's social media or it's uh, the video sites YouTube, all the way to our uh, Netflix and Amazon subscriptions. And it seems to be commonplace today to talk about binge watching. And so somebody will sit down and binge watch an entire series or season of a particular show. And and these things, we kind of uh, may be un, uh, unaware of the fact that we're adding that into what we will call busy, but it's not busy. It's just a massive distraction from the things that we need to do or even those obligations and responsibilities that we have to fulfill. And and, and so it's we as Americans in a 21st century context on top of that being busy and filling up our schedule with lots of different extraneous things some of which are not even really all that important uh, and then on top of that being distracted by all the different stuff that our multimedia consumerism culture wants to wants to consume us with
0: well at least I'm, I'm encouraged because see being in New Jersey New York area, the pastors around here we, we as we discuss it's always everyone thinks it's just a New York thing. Uh, being so close to New York, and I'm always oh, saying, I'm "No, it, it, it's it's a sinful thing. <laughs> it's just yeah, we yeah. we allow these distractions." I think with the internet, we just have a whole lot more of it.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Uh, I mean, there
2: is a, a necessity to prioritize. And when you are trying to figure out where does my devotional time come into my schedule, if you're trying to find a place for it to go, then you're not prioritizing properly because that should be the first thing. How do I fit my Bible reading in, my time with the Lord, my prayer, time with family? Everything else should revolve around that. Sure, you've got a job and your employer is deciding your schedule for you but uh, but the priority that you make in terms of spiritual growth needs to center around that time that you give to being with the Lord and and also uh, for those of you who are men or fathers, uh, husbands, you have to lead your family in those things as well. That's your responsibility. So it's not about trying to find a place for it. It's not trying to, where do I get church in the midst of this schedule? If you're still finding a place to wedge those things in there, then they aren't your priority and they need to be.
0: You know, it's interesting you bring up devotions and we want to talk about the pastor's role and things, but I remember when I was a preaching pastor of a church, people had the assumption, even now, because I prepare sermons and I'm out speaking regularly at other churches, people think that I have these great devotions because I'm always in God's word studying. Hmm. And I always had to explain it because people would be you you don't understand, Pastor. It's so hard for me to be able to get devotions. I mean, you're just always in the word. And it's like, you know, there's a difference between studying and preparing for sermons, at least I found, than my devotions that I needed separate from the study. Right, right. And I think that a lot of people don't understand that, you know, even the pastor needs time away from the study for for Sunday morning and just be in the Word, in prayer, and have his own devotional time. So we're, we don't escape that just because our main job is to be in God's Word. Yeah, I mean, Same struggle that they have with the busyness to, to find the time, make the time to have those devotions.
2: Yeah, and that that really is, uh, a a pastor needs to understand that as well. So not just the church understanding that a pastor has to have his own devotional time, even uh, a pastor needs to get that. Your Your study in the Word of God for what you're going to preach on Sunday is not the same as your devotional time with the Lord. So like uh, with with what I do, there's a series that we're going through in our uh, Sunday morning services. Uh, I've got an Old Testament study I do Thursday night. I've got the stuff that I do on the podcast. And then what I do with my family is totally different than that. So right now as a pastor, I'm preaching through second Corinthians. When I do my devotional time with my kids, we're not doing second Corinthians. We're doing something else entirely. And, and sometimes I do that not just for my benefit, uh, but also for theirs that they see that dad is giving time specifically to us in a particular part of the Bible. That's not the same as what he's doing in preparation for the sermon on Sunday, which they're just as responsible to have to listen to as anybody else in church. <laughs> uh, and uh, and it's also not the same thing that dad's doing on his podcast or anything else. So they know that when I sit down with them and and I'll just say, you know, what I'm going through with my kids right now is the book of Daniel. So when I'm sitting down with them and going through Daniel, they know that's daddy's time with us. It's, it's just us going through the book of Daniel that doesn't come from any of his other responsibilities. So uh, yeah, there is a necessity for a pastor to have his own devotional time uh, that he is spending with the Lord in prayer, hearing the word of God spoken to him through what it is that he's studying. And that is separate from the responsibilities that he's going to have to also prepare the word that's going to be delivered to the saints on Sunday
0: morning. And you bring up a good point. And it's different from his family devotions that they make right. that's special as well. Yeah. Because, I mean, it, it is so unfortunately easy for pastors to serve other people in the body and forget their own family. For a lot of folks, they are not in the role of a pastor. They don't really know what the role of pastor is other than seeing someone who gets up on Sunday morning and preaches on a regular basis, so when we think about that, what is the role of a pastor what is what's the the function because it's it's more than just the pastor who's preaching because there's other pastors that have that serve within a body as well
2: yes, so I believe that the the pastor's responsibility is best summarized by Titus one nine you know there there are definitely places where we can go to find qualifications for a pastor, first Timothy chapter three and Titus one five through nine are the most popular sections where we see those qualifications for a pastor. But for the pastor's responsibility specifically, if we're gonna kind of sum it down to one quick blurb or or qualification or mission statement, it would be Titus one nine. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. And so we can take that verse and separated into, into three responsibilities for the pastor. He must be sound in his doctrine. He's holding firm to the trustworthy word as taught. So sound doctrine being that which flows from the gospel of Jesus Christ, what our Lord Christ taught. And then secondly, that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. So he not only believes the true word of Christ, but he's also able to teach that and help people understand how to apply it. So a person can be a teacher in the word of God, but maybe not be any more qualified than a professor at a seminary, but to actually lead the flock of God in understanding how the word applies to their lives and how to live that out, that would be a little bit more specific to a pastor, to that role as a shepherd in the church leading the flock of God. So it's understanding the true word of Christ, it's being able to teach it and help the flock of God know how to apply it, and then finally also rebuking those who contradict it. So there are going to be times for a pastor to have to correct a person who is incorrect in their behavior and bring them back to the path of righteousness where they may be straying off to the left or to the right. And then there's also those wolves who are attempting to lead the flock of God astray. And a pastor, as a shepherd, will need to fend off the wolves and warn the congregation about those teachers who are false, who are not teaching the true word of Christ, but are instead teaching half-truths or deviating or blaspheming the name of god claiming to speak for god when they really don't they speak something contrary to what the word says and so those pastors are a defense for the flock of god and that they also fend off the wolves uh, the apostle paul said to the ephesian elders in acts chapter 20 that there would be fierce wolves that would arise from among them so sometimes these wolves come from without they are outside the church trying to uh, lead people astray and then, and then sometimes these false teachers may even arise from within the congregation itself. And so the pastor must be watchful and mindful of those things. And, and so his primary role, his primary responsibility is to oversee the spiritual condition of the flock of God, the people that are in his congregation that have been entrusted
0: to him to care for. I want to play one of the clips that you have from your When We Understand the Text videos. And I don't even know how many videos I, I had. I tried to look and scroll through, and it's just like page after page.
2: (laughs) It's a little over 200 now, yeah. 200. 200.
0: And for folks that haven't listened to these, I want to play them so you get an idea of what these videos, the content, but also you see they're short. They're about a minute and a half on average. So it's something that you could play quickly. Uh, other podcasters, hey, if you want to find something that explains very concisely something that you're trying to say, these videos are great things to just slip in there. I, I don't think that there's any copyrights that they would restrict them. Are, are there?
1: Nope.
2: Yeah, no. We, uh, w- w- however, it works for you. Whether you're showing it at a Bible study or, uh, you know, I even had a guy call me up recently uh, who was a sidewalk evangelist, and he said, "Hey, I play your videos on my smartphone, and I show them to video uh, to people. Is that okay?" And I said, "Hey, man, Amen." <laughs> I'm glad, I'm glad it works out that way.
0: So you can get the the full all the videos at www.utt which stands for when we understand the text.com and they're all there. But I want to play this one. We just recently did a podcast on church discipline and so this is what Pastor Gabe had to say about church discipline.
1: As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Brothers and sisters in Christ, here's the thing. Never, ever coddle a person who is being biblically disciplined by their church. Do not sue the person who has left the church because they don't want to be told they're wrong. Don't put your arm around them and say, oh, it's okay. No, it's not okay. That person is in unrepentant sin. If you continue to treat them as if nothing is wrong, they won't think they've done anything wrong. They'll think the real problem is the pastor, the elders of the church leadership who are just holier than thou jerks and they will feel justified in their actions. You might think you're being compassionate, but you're not. You're probably the reason they won't repent, coddling them into condemnation. Any relationship you continue to have with that person should be to remind them of their sin and call them to repentance. Otherwise, you too are guilty of dividing the body. Every Christian needs to understand that sin separates us not only from Christ, but also his body. To be put out of the church is like a small taste of hell. Then a person will realize the seriousness of their sin and come to repentance, lest they face eternal Judgment. Once they've sought forgiveness, the body of Christ will welcome them back, and the grace of God is displayed. Respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you. To admonish means to reprove or scold in a good-willed manner. For even the Lord disciplines those He loves. When we understand the
0: text, all right. So that was pretty quick. The thing I appreciated about that video is we just did a podcast as I mentioned on church discipline, and I was focused on the process. And many times that's that's really where the focus is. But from a pastor's perspective. I I think you really brought out something that I had not done in my podcast, and and often I haven't seen people really focus on, is the fact that someone who is under church discipline shouldn't be coddled, which we see often. (laughs) Yeah, we really do. In church. Yeah. Let me ask you this. With, with that, from a pastor's perspective, you have someone you're trying to lovingly correct because of the purity of the church for their own spiritual well-being. You're bringing them under church discipline. And then you have people who are trying to, to make them feel better about it. Why is that a bad thing? Well, it undermines the process.
2: It is uh, completely contrary to what that's supposed to accomplish. And that is, uh, you know, as it mentioned there in the video, giving a person a small taste of hell. They are separated from the protection of Christ and his body, uh, which which is a protection. So the the church is not just something that we do. We gather together on Sunday morning, but even uh, in Ephesians chapter four, it says that the church, when it is maturing together in love, uh, as we're growing up into the full of Christ we're no longer children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning by craftiness in deceitful schemes so as a church we're being protected by the schemes of Satan which are happening outside the church which are happening in the rest of the world and when a person has been removed from the church or handed over to Satan is the way that Paul puts it first uh, Timothy chapter 1 is one of the places where he says it that way then they get a small taste of what it's like to be be separated from God and from His body, and they realize that their sin is so serious that that it would actually cause a break in fellowship with God, and so they would mourn over the fact that they have that this has had to be done to them that it's led to the point of having to remove you from the church until you can repent. And then graciously Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, don't let that guy, uh, you know, whoever it is that you've des- uh, disciplined mourn so much to the point that that he grieves into hopelessness, but rather welcome him back in the body and forgive him. So there is a period of time which we will grieve over our sin and we'll mourn over our sin and it's it's to realize what it is that we've done so that we seek God's forgiveness and then we're Brought back into the flock, and the grace of God is shown—the grace of God that cleanses us from all unrighteousness in Jesus Christ. So the purpose of this is not to kick a person out and you know show that we're holier than thou, but it's rather for their benefit that they would learn not to blaspheme God and instead live in holiness as the church is expected to do, and realizing that when a person sins, it doesn't just affect you. As I've uh, shared with my congregation, no one sins on an island. Mm. Your sin affects you and it affects all the people around you. And and so realizing that our sin has affected other people and that we would turn from it and no longer pursue worldly means, but
0: live as the kingdom people that we're supposed to be. We want to take a quick commercial break. After that, what I want to do is ask you uh, what a normal work week looks like for a pastor.
1: All right. Striving for Eternity is a Christ-centered ministry focused on equipping people for eternity. And they provide speakers and seminars that come to your church with expertise and theology, hermeneutics, world religions, creation science, evangelism, Presupposition of apologetics, church history, and expertise in sexual abuse in the church. For details on their seminars and to request a speaker for your church, go to strivingforeternity.org. Striving to make today an eternal day for the glory of God.
3: The good news is Striving for Eternity would love to come to your church to spend two days with your folks, teaching them biblical hermeneutics. That's right, the art and science of interpreting scripture. The bad news is somebody attending might be really upset to discover Jeremiah 29:11 should not be their life verse. To learn more, go to strivingforeternity.org to host a Bible interpretation made easy seminar in your area.
0: Now you wouldn't have people thinking Jeremiah 29:11 should be a life verse because you preach expositionally, right? <laughs>
3: Yeah, that's right. Yeah.
2: So, <laughs> so like I said, we're going through 2 Corinthians right now. And uh, and you know what the next uh, section that we're going to be preaching on is. You know, we just finished up chapter 7. So you know, whatever it is that I'm going to be preaching on next week will be somewhere in chapter 8. So uh, uh, I think it's John MacArthur has also said, I've never had to spend a lot of time thinking about what I'm preaching on next. I already know. It's it's just the next part of uh, of the scriptures that we're studying and going through together.
0: Yeah, it's only when you when you end a book that you have to worry about what the next book is. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> when, when I, I finish
2: Second th- Corinthians, I'm going to
0: Galatians. Hey,
1: <laughs> easy enough.
0: Well, I mean, you know, and the reason that really is, and the reason that's a benefit, if if people were to read verse by verse. And t- Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Gee, does this apply to me? Well, if they just read one verse before it, where Jeremiah twenty nine ten says, "And thus says the Lord: When seventy years are complete for Babylon, I will visit you, and I right. will fulfill my promise and bring you back to this place." Well, hey, if you're part of the seventy year Babylonian captivity, then yes, that verse is for you. <laughs> if you're I, I not think that old. old. Sorry. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I
2: think I, we did a video on that one too uh when we understand the text one on Jeremiah 29:11. I I think in those things we can certainly see the character of God. But yep. ultimately the reward that we're looking toward is not some earthly habitation like uh the Jews in Babylonian exile were looking toward. Rather we're looking forward to a heavenly kingdom which we will receive in Christ Jesus.
0: And they never want to go down a couple of verses where down like 17:18 where it says, you know, I know the plans I have for you famine and <laughs>
2: <Just so we're- laughs> no one wants those as a life verse. No, not- yeah no, no, no.
0: Uh, I like the prosper
2: one better let's stick with yeah. that
0: <laughs> on a normal week. I mean, I remember getting a call one middle of day, a day, a guy called me up and said, Hey, pastor, can you pick me up from the airport? W- when do you need a ride? Well, I'm there now. <laughs> and I was like, why you call me now? He said, well, I forgot to plan ahead. And I figured you'd be around with nothing to do. And I, I said, I, I basically said, I'll pick you up under one condition. You're going to take a week off and see what I go through, what I do to prepare for Sunday all week. Right. He figured he'd call someone else. (laughs) So what is it for you? What does a normal week look like? Well, on uh, Sunday,
2: uh, we'll start with the first day of the week, the Lord's Day. I get up earlier on Sunday than I get up any other day of the week. And uh, I'm, I'm up, I'm showering. I spend time in the word that uh, that I'm gonna be preaching on that day. Uh, I'll leave the house before anybody else gets up. And it's really the only day of the week where I'm the first one up. <laughs> but uh, I'll get out of the house and and head over to the church and it's quiet. And uh, and I spend my time studying and in prayer. Um, I'm also making sure that, you know, like chairs in the sanctuary are lined up right. That's part of what I do. But uh, um, that, that's kind of an extraneous thing. It's not really all that important. But while I'm doing that, I'm walking through the sanctuary and and seeing that our, our rows are still you know in comfortable lines uh, and praying for the people who will be sitting in those chairs this morning, that their hearts would be open to hear the word of God, that uh, this word would encourage them where they need encouragement, and it would admonish them where they need admonishment. And then there's uh, some other prep things to do, getting the music together and uh, ready for the band, because I actually... Uh, lead the worship as well as, (laughs) as well as the preaching. (laughs) So I'm, I'm doing that as well. And there's other folks that do plenty of things. It's not like I'm running the whole service, but, uh, but I, I still do that. I, uh, lead the music and lead the preaching also. And then, uh, once church gets done on Sunday, uh, I am, I'm flat out exhausted. So we get done and we get out of the building one, one thirty somewhere around in there. We go home and we eat as a family. And then, uh, the kids and myself usually take a nap. And Becky kind of has some time to herself (laughs) while (laughs) all of us are napping. And then, uh, then we, Spend the rest of the day together as a family and we'll focus on spiritual things or we'll do things together as a family, whether that's playing games together, reading books or things like that. Uh, We kind of have our own Lord's Day uh, way about us there on Sunday. And then on Monday, it's back to the office. And uh, Monday is a day that I've committed to my congregation that I'm going to be in my office. And so I try to, the other things that I have to do in the community for the rest of the week, I try to put those on the other days of the week, whether that be Tuesday, Wednesday or Thursday. Day. But Monday is—I've—I've uh, I've arranged everything that I'm there in the office so that if anybody needs to come and talk about what was preached the day before, if they've been convicted over it and they want to talk some more about it, Monday is the day that they can come and do that. And there—there there have been days where I've had a line, so I get to church on Monday morning at nine, and there's already four or five people that are waiting to talk to me, and so uh, one or two of them will say, "Hey, I'll come back after lunch" or something like that. But—but uh, but Monday. For the most part, fills up with those conversations, with doing spiritual counseling and sitting with somebody and talking with them about what's going on in their life, uh, where they're feeling convicted, uh, where they have sin they need to repent of, or or where they just struggle to see what God is doing, and and what do I what do I need to do to be faithful in this moment in which I'm waiting for God to to move in my life, you know, something like that. So so that's the the time that we have for those conversations. Five o'clock on Monday. I get done at the office. I head to the house, and the elders come over to my home, and we sit and we have our elders meeting Monday evening from five to seven o'clock. And every I week, every week, every single week, yep. And we uh, we talk about what was preached the day before. We talk about where I'm going in the sermon the next week. We also talk about the classes that they're leading. Um, and I've served food, uh, and I serve food every Monday. I have a crock pot that I've put on in the morning, and and then by the time I get back uh, for the meeting. I get back to the house and get ready for that meeting. Uh the crock pot's done and the food's ready to be served. So <laughs> the elders come over, they've all got their own jobs. We have one other pastor on staff who's part-time. So he works bivocationally. Uh, and then two lay elders and and they have they both work on post. We live right next to a military base and so they both work on the base. And so when we get uh when we get past five o'clock, they're done with work, they come from post to uh, to my house. And then uh, I've got a study and actually where we're recording this interview right now, I'm sitting in my study and I've got a desk on one side where all my books are kind of surrounding me. And then on the other side, there's a table and that's where we as elders sit. And so we'll, we'll go through the word of God together. We'll talk about the things that are going on in the church, how we can better serve uh, the people in our congregation, uh, making sure needs are being met and things like that. Uh, we have a meeting with the deacons about once a quarter. So the elders and the deacons will get together to be sure that the deacons are helping to meet some of those physical needs with the members of the congregation while the elders are overseeing the spiritual needs of the congregation. So that's Monday. And then on Tuesday, um, I get to church uh, typically about 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning. Uh, I start with devotionals, well, no, not on Tuesday. I don't do the devotionals with the kids because they go to a homeschool co-op group, and they're up earlier in the morning on Tuesday than they are any other day of the week. So <laughs> they go to they go to that group, and and then I head to the church. And what I do on Tuesday while they're doing their homeschool co- co-op is I'm actually ministering to and evangelizing high school students. So our uh, church is catty corner to the high school. It's it's just right out back behind the high school. And so on Tuesday we invite high school students to come over to us, and we'll. See serve them lunch and give them the gospel. And mm. for about half of the students, it's the only gospel they hear all week long. They don't attend a church of any kind uh, and they, they will come just because the food is free. And we've got over a high, uh, over a hundred high school students weekly that will come to that, um, uh, to that lunch and where we're sharing the gospel. There's a couple other churches in town that, that partner with us to do that. And I'll let some of those youth guys talk sometimes and, and share the gospel with the students as well. And so then uh, the Tuesday afternoon, we're kind of doing cleanup from that, and I might have some other meetings around town and things like that I'll have to attend. Uh, on Wednesday, it's mostly an office day going over to the church, but there might be some other uh, house visits or going to the hospital that I might do on Wednesday. On Wednesday evening, that's where we have our ministry that we um teach the Bible to our children in the church. So Wednesday evening is focused on uh, teaching our kids. It's it's all kids ministry from like age two all the way up through 18. So I teach the high school portion of that and it's myself and one of the other elders. And uh, we're we're just starting, as I'm doing this interview, we're just starting this coming Wednesday on the next school year. So we're gonna go through the book of Romans and we're gonna spend all of the school year going through Romans with our high school students uh those high school students that attend our church and then on Thursday that's a day that I work from home and it's usually that day that I'll spend the most time on the sermon or working on what videos <laughs> so I'll do that uh, uh on thursday as well and uh and and then on Thursday evening we've got a an old Testament study that we host in our home and I also cook food for that, so we've got a, a about you know twelve 15 people from our church that will come to our home for our Old Testament study and then we're also eating together and fellowshipping together Friday is my day off and that's the day that I take away from any of my church responsibilities I don't take phone calls uh, I'll respond to maybe only a few text messages if I if I need to but that's the day that I've devoted to my family uh Saturday uh, sometimes we have a lot of things that go on at the church whether that's a work day or or it's um uh, doing a like a, a breakfast that we have on Saturday morning. And then we might be helping somebody move or doing yard work or, or we might have our own, uh, you know, uh, uh, home projects that we've got to do. And, and we invest Saturday in that. Saturday evening, I'm finishing up the sermon. I'm printing it off. Um, I'm going through my outline. I've got the bulletin done. And then, uh, and then the routine starts over again on Sunday morning. Uh, one, of, one of the things that I didn't fit in there was the podcast.
0: I do that uh, in the- you have, more, you have more podcasts than just the, what does the, how, when we understand the text.
2: Right. Yeah. It's more, than just the videos, uh, because I do a daily 20 minute Bible study. And Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday is New Testament. Thursday is Old Testament. And then Friday, Becky and I, my wife and I, we do the Q&A together. So we'll take questions from the from the listeners and then respond to them on that Friday edition. And I record that in the evening when the kids go to bed. So kids go to bed and either I'll sit with Becky and we'll watch a show. We'll pray together uh, and, and then talk about some other things, things that are going on with the kids around the house, community church. Uh That's, we, we spend that time together when the kids go to bed. And so either I'll record the podcast right after they go to bed and then Becky and I have our time together and then we can go to bed together. <laughs> On top of that, that's important, husbands and wives. Uh, or a will uh, she's much more tired than I am so we'll do that first after the kids go to bed, and then she'll go to bed, and then I do the podcast, and then I record it for the next day. So um, that's, uh, that's 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 kind of the the daily routine. That's that's what my week looks like for the most part, and it's pretty full. And uh, anything
0: that gets added into that really stretches us as a family. <laughs> well, yeah, and and I think that for a lot of people in a congregation, they're listening to that, going, "Wow, is that what my pastor's doing all week?" and for good pastors, yeah. Uh, you know, when I do the, we do a, a seminar we have called, you know, Bible Interpretation Made Easy. We teach people hermeneutics, how to interpret the Bible. And whenever we come into a church and we go through this and we lay out, this is what you have to do to to dig into a text of scripture and understand its meaning. This is all the work you do to put into that, going into original languages and diagramming it out and looking at the context, all of that. Mm-hmm. And we always end it, and I say, if your pastor is faithfully studying God's word, for some of you, you're thinking this is overwhelming, and he's doing that every week. And I have had people that have come back to me after we've done those seminars and say, you know, I started praying for my pastor because I didn't realize he does that much work. So on average, what would you say for you? what would an average sermon prep take
2: i would say it's somewhere between 10 and 20 hours um i've i've heard of some pastors taking 40 hours i don't really know how they do that <laughs> yeah I'm yeah. not, not criticizing that method. However, they do that. You know, they spend 40 hours a week on the sermon. That's fine. Uh, but as far as what I'm doing for the sermon that Sunday, it's somewhere between between 10 and 20 hours.
0: Yeah, so, I I used to spend about 20 to 30 hours. But yeah, I have the one difference that for me, I had to do a lot more work in the original languages because it wasn't. Fl- I'm not fluent, so it took me longer to dig into that than for someone who's fluent in it. So, but it's it it is a sizable amount of work. And then if you you start adding in your, if you're teaching the Sunday school, if you're teaching a midweek these things add up and people right. don't often think about the amount of time it takes. Uh, I want to play a commercial. I want to talk about, though, you're basically this idea that we see with I'm dealing with in the daily podcast about spiritual depression. But, you know, pastors are not immune to being burnt out. Oh, and yeah, absolutely. Thing that many <laughs> struggle with. And I want to come back and talk about that. Okay. After.
3: Looking for strategies that will help you engage in meaningful conversations with members of the Mormon Church? Well, if so, take a look at sharing the good news with more A new book produced by Harvest House Publishers and edited by Mormonism Research Ministries' Eric Johnson and Sean McDowell. Sharing the Good News with Mormons includes 24 helpful essays from two dozen Christian apologists, scholars, and pastors. Pick up your copy at the Utah Lighthouse
0: Bookstore or order directly from MRM. And as I always say, that book is also available at strivingforeternity.org in our store. And, you know, Gabe, had I known that you have a book out, 40 Mormon Beliefs, and what the Bible says, I probably would have contacted you to be one of the contributors to that book when uh when eric oh yeah 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 see i i i didn't i didn't know until i started doing my research for in prep for this that you had that book out but when when eric johnson contacted me about this his idea was he said hey look i have this idea there's a whole lot of different ways to reach mormons and i want to put them into a book he was going to self-publish it and i said you know i i have some bigger name friends who have mormon backgrounds or write on mormonism what about if we included that and maybe get it published? And he was like, "Really? No, you know." So I, I contacted you know a couple of friends, and I contacted someone you know Jim Wallace, who has a background in Mormonism, and his family's Mormon. Well, it turns out that Eric contacted his friend Sean McDowell, and basically between the three of us, we convinced him to put that not self-publish, but actually get a publisher to back it. It's been going very good. It's a really interesting book because there's 24 different ways that people reach specifically to Mormons, but I find that it helps people to realize just different ways they can evangelize to anybody. Yeah, yeah. And had I known you had a book out there on that, <laughs> I, would have, uh, I would have reached out to you at that.
2: Uh, I'm, actually, I'm actually updating that. Uh, and the, the, the title of it, the updated title, because I'm going to put it on Amazon, is not going to be 40 Mormon Beliefs. It's just going to be what Mormons believe and what the Bible says. So oh, okay. uh, it's still the same layout as it had before, but the introduction is a little bit different. And then uh, it'll be um, available through Amazon and on Kindle.
0: So that's coming up later on in the year. I-, I thought maybe there was a trend because, you know, like, like Erwin Lutzer has, you know, seven reasons for everything. Like he, everything's, yeah. he has a <laughs> list of seven. I noticed your your new book, you know, is, is 40 of the most popular verses and what they really mean. And right. so I was thinking maybe this is what you're, you were going to start doing is, you know, you're going to have 40 for everything. <laughs> yeah. Just do 40 something. Right. Yeah. yeah. Although, you know, for original sin, your book, you a book on original sin, I think 40 was going to be hard for that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, that was that was a little more difficult. Yeah, there were uh, nine essential doctrines that we narrowed down, and and uh, I did sermons on those doctrines. Oh, I was a couple of years ago, and so then took those sermons and put them into small books. And so there was the doctrine of original sin. So that was the that was the one book. There. And the
0: other would be the deity of Christ. Deity of Christ. And I'll I'll have links for folks to buy all those in the show notes, so that if you're if you are interested in those, you can you can pick those up so this is a thing I know that I had suffered with when I was pastoring um, I, I remember in one church where I was uh, working full-time as a pastor putting in about 60 70 hours a week then having to work a part-time job that was almost 40 hours a week and then having family responsibilities I had suffered from a time of being just burnt out where I just I needed to get away and I Thought I really thought that I was the only pastor that ever struggled with this. I, when I would get together at the pastors' fellowships, the local pastors' fellowships, no one, no one really talked about that. And back then, I really wasn't going to conferences so much. I just didn't have the time, uh, which is where you and I met. You and I, I think we first met, if I remember correctly, at, she- at the Shepherds Conference. At ShepCon, yep. Yeah, I, I, I don't remember how we met. I, the only, I, I just remember that the first time we had met, uh, I was giving you and. Nate Pickowitz a ride somewhere. Right. It was back to his uh, aunt and uncle's house. Yeah. I don't know how I ended up giving you a ride. (laughs) I don't remember. (laughs) I knew I had a car, but I don't remember how that came about.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I don't know either. I had talked. I had talked with you and, uh, um, Oh, who's the fellow that does the ministry with you at, uh, uh, Dr. Silvestro, Anthony. Silvestro. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And so we we were talking actually in that little square right before or right in front of the master's library, and uh, and then it was later that evening. You gave us a ride back to uh, uh, back over to Nate's aunt uncle's house. I yeah, remember.
0: And, we, and we didn't tell you. You and Nate were in some conversation uh, that didn't involve Anthony and I. You guys just were talking. We drove you, dropped you off, and I don't. I didn't see much of you after that. But that was the first we met. But but you know I didn't have a time to go to, to conferences and, yeah. and basically share with anyone the, the struggle I dealt with it myself at that time, and I remember going to uh, Jim Boyce had a conference and back when he was alive uh, at Tenth Presbyterian Church, and I remember going to that conference and someone had basically been sharing how he was experience experiencing just being burnt out from ministry. Hmm. And that's when I realized, oh, there's others who who struggle with this. Is that something you've ever struggled with it? Do you talk to other men is this something you see as common with pastors? And if so, why do you think this this is? Well, I as a pastor, I've been uh, at First Southern Baptist Church for 8 years.
2: I was there 2 years as associate pastor and I've been the senior pastor for the last 6. And so in the 8 years that I've been there, I've not experienced burnout and I don't feel like I've even come close and I I really have a very gracious congregation they encourage me to go to conferences they want me to take time off and because we have plurality eldership that I've got three other guys I can rely on Um, I can even feel you know free to be sick on Sunday and (laughs) turn over uh, the teaching to somebody else and not feel like everything's uh, going to trash you know or something like that but um, uh, so I've got a a very loving congregation takes really good care of me and other of my family and uh, it's it's I, for lack of a better term, I mean, it's a dream job. It really is the kind of environment I think any pastor would love to have. And that doesn't mean that we don't have our problems. That doesn't mean that as a church body, we don't have our squabbles or that people always agree with everything that I say and we never have disagreements. That's not what that means. But, but just that we're very patient with one another and, and people take care of their pastor and I look after that flock. And so we do have a very good relationship and it, it's a very easy environment to work in. But when it comes to burnout, when it comes to burnout that pastors experience, there are people who are very sound in the faith and, and very great at what they do, expositing the Word of God and, and teaching it on a weekly basis that will still experience burnout. But when I've looked at, at least across the spectrum of Southern Baptist churches where I'm most involved, uh, where I've seen burnout happen the most is usually in one of two areas. Or both. And it's either the laity's unrealistic expectations of the pastor or it's the pastor's unrealistic expectations of himself. So you'll have the, the laity, the church congregation just has expectations of the pastor that really aren't the pastor's responsibility. And, and it could be that he's the only guy there. You have a one pastor model where the rest of the church is kind of under that guy and everything becomes his responsibility. And what the church expects of him is really even duties that should be, uh, stretched out among the deacons, and it should be members of the congregation even that are doing some of those things. So like when we talked a, a little bit ago about church discipline, when you go by the qualification or the uh, the uh, outline of church discipline, uh, the method that's supposed to be followed that Jesus gave in Matthew 18, 15 through 20, that's not something that a pastor is supposed to do. It's the whole church does that. <laughs> so yeah. when when somebody sees someone else walking in sin, that they confront that brother between the two of them alone. And if you've won your brother over after showing him his fault, praise the Lord. It never has to go to the pastor. That never has to be something that the pastor deals with if you're able to take care of of that situation between the two of you alone. Uh, and then furthermore, you know, I, I read from, uh, uh, quoted from Ephesians four a little bit ago, where it's, uh, it says there in Ephesians four eleven that God gave the apostles and the prophets the evangelists the shepherds and the teachers that would that would be you know the pastor to prepare the saints for the work of ministry so there's work of ministry that should be happening in the church that the pastor has prepared the saints for that is not his responsibility uh, the the responsibility doesn't fall entirely upon his shoulders the rest of the church shoulders the weight of that responsibility of ministry in the community so the pastor definitely can be a model for that but it should not be that the church has hired this guy to take care of all of those things you got to take care of all of our sick you got to take care of all the evangelism in the community you got to take care of all the disciplinary matters that come up and when the laity has unrealistic expectations upon the pastor like that that can very quickly lead to burnout and and it can also lead to a great deal of discouragement when he's not meeting all those expectations that the church has of him and then people get mad and and uh, they're getting upset probably at things that they simply don't understand uh, they they just see a certain need that they expect to have met, and it's not being met, therefore the pastor's not doing his job. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So for the congregation to get the most out of their pastor and the responsibility that he has is to do this. uh, have this relationship between a congregation and a pastor that very joyful. For if it's full of complaints and it's full of unrealistic expectations, then he does that job with reluctance and with groaning, and that's of no advantage to anyone in the church. So so first of all, there's the laity's unrealistic expectations that could lead to burnout, and then secondly, there's the pastor having unrealistic, uh, unrealistic expectations of his own job that can also lead to burnout. I think that one of the The safest things that a pastor can do for himself to prevent burnout is to be an expository pastor. If he is not an expository preacher going through the word of God, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and instead he has placed upon himself a burden to have to come up with new series and new material and new Uh, of object lessons and things like that to go with that material. He is placing an unnecessary burden on himself to be the authoritative voice in the church when he's not supposed to be that authoritative voice. The Word of God is the authoritative voice, and so you simply open the Bible and you let it fly, and that authority rests upon the pastor as well as every other member of that congregation. This work has already been done for you, preparing this material It's right there in the Bible. So the the pastor's labor on what to teach on any given Sunday is just to be focused on the next section that has already been written by the prophets and apostles that God appointed to speak his word. And now the pastor is proclaiming that word to the people of God and teaching them what it means, and how to apply it. So he has taken pressure off of himself to, to, be, to have to be relevant, to, to have to come up with ear-catching material that's gonna please everybody. And that's typically what you get when you have those seeker-friendly, topical-driven sermons. And when he's not focused on having to come up with series and topics, and instead he just rests in uh, the authoritative word of God, he's taken a great deal of the the burden off of his plate to have to be a relevant, hip pastor. And I think that's one of the first things that he can do to help to prevent himself, not just from burnout, but even spiritual burnout, even personally getting spiritually burnt out uh, over his job when he uh, uh, relies upon the word
0: of God instead of his own word for teaching authority. Well, yeah, the relationship between the pastor and the congregation has a major, major impact on it. Son, you said that I'll highlight because when I came into the Chinese church where I was pastoring, first thing I started doing was establish elders. I was the yes. only pastor. They had deacons, but I was the only pastor. And the first thing was need to establish a leadership, need to have a plurality of elders. And because that's the other thing, it's not just having the congregation pastor relationship working very well, but the the shepherd needs to have other shepherds to come alongside him and, and carry the burden and yes. do the work
2: together. Amen. And I, I have wonderful men that, uh, that I look up to uh, and that I submit to. And it, it is a joy to be a part of a plurality eldership in that I'm one of those elders and I also get to experience submitting to elders. And we've got, uh, there's one man in our eldership who's much older and he's kind of, you know, the grandfatherly figure of us. And we look to him for uh, more uh, experiential counseling because he's been through it before and he knows how to, to, to guide and teach us as elders as well as the rest of the church through those kinds of things. And uh, and then we've got a guy who's even um, bilingual. And so he teaches uh, one of the bilingual courses at our church, um, as well as a part of our congregation and participates in the worship service on Sunday morning as well. And uh, so we're we're a great bunch of guys that are very encouraging and upbuilding of one another. And I don't know what I would do without them. I, I can certainly see burnout being a greater risk for a pastor that is not a part of a plurality eldership, as opposed to when He's got these guys that he can lean on and can build him up as well as keep him accountable, can discipline him, uh, can hold him to a right standard of those qualifications that we have for an overseer in places like First Timothy chapter 3. So they help to keep him on that path um, and then doing the word of God together. So he's not even doing his labor and study by himself, but getting feedback from the other elders and, and and spreading the responsibility of caring for the church among those guys. So it's not just resting on one man's shoulders. It's it's a wonderful blessing, and I can't imagine doing this without them.
0: And and you know, there's churches of being Baptistic as as we are. I'm, I'm been in independent Baptist churches pretty much ever ever since I started going to church. And the thing you'll have pastors where it's pastor and deacons. And, yeah. The reality, those a lot of the times, I mean, I was in a church where, yeah, I may have been called a deacon, but I functioned as a shepherd. Mm-hmm. And you have that where some people, and when I got to a Chinese church, there were some of the men there that were actually shepherding and others who were doing more the deacon role of serving. And, right. you, you know, if there's pastors who go, hey, we don't need to have plurality of elders. Well, usually you do have that, whether you recognize it or not. Right. The guys who say, well, I have a deacon board, I can rely on the same way but a lot of times those deacons are not functioning in that way. So- yeah, yeah, we and we talked about that uh
2: cuz when I first came on we did not have a plurality eldership. And so it was something that I proposed to the congregation and then it took us 2 years of study and ultimately we decided, yeah, this is what we need to do. So we restructured our constitution to allow for plurality eldership and then elected those men uh to those positions. But so you we had that same sort of thing like like you were talking about where the deacons were kind of serving as elders, but they were all also- also, like a a disciplinary board, and it was it was odd because that's not the qualification for deacon. Yeah. We don't have anything about that given in First Timothy chapter three about those qualifications for deacons. And so it was it was confusing to everyone, including to me. Even though I relied on those guys, and they were faithful men, and I I loved working with them. I had nothing against the deacons, uh, but even though uh, uh, those men were wonderful to work with, it was still an unrealistic expectation of them to fulfill that role when that's the role. That an elder should be fulfilling, and it, and we're not even testing those men according to the qualifications of elder when we appoint them as deacon, and then they become deacons, and we expect them to function as elders when they haven't been tested according to that standard. Yep. So so it, you know it, it get like I said, it gets confusing, and there was uh, some misunderstanding as to what a deacon was supposed to do. And sometimes I would make decisions, and every once in a while, you'd have a deacon say, "Well, you didn't you didn't talk to me about that decision." Well, I didn't know I had to. You know. <laughs> So there's confusion in that structure where you had the the pastor deacon model and then those deacons uh, function as elders. I think we serve the church best when we're following the layout for church leadership that has been given to us in the word of God. And uh, and the church is able to best serve its members as well as its elders and its deacons when we follow that pattern.
0: Yeah. And so let me ask you this, being you're down in you're In you know, not in New York area where I am, where (laughs) it's very different serving here. But in Kansas, I mean, you're sort of in the Bible Belt, maybe. How is it easier or more difficult to minister in Kansas than in you know other parts of the U.S.? Like I mean, New Jersey, New York, not the easiest place. (laughs) Right. Well,
2: Kansas definitely has its liberal areas, but for the most part, we're a red state, so it's pretty conservative. And uh, and you'll encounter people now where I live in Junction City. It's actually quite different than most of the rest of Kansas because of the influence of Fort Riley. And so we have a lot more diversity here in Junction City than most other places in Kansas, unless you get to those urban areas like Wichita uh, or Kansas City or Lawrence, where the University of Kansas is. Then there's certainly more uh, uh, diversity in those places, but. Here here in Junction City, we kind of have that small town feel, but we have a lot more diversity. And uh, uh, church attendance in Junction City is way lower than the average of what it is across the state of Kansas. So in Kansas, I think, you know, the most recent surveys that I saw showed it was like 60 to 70% of people go to church on a regular basis. Whereas in Junction City, it's something like 15 to 30%, <laughs> if that. Uh, you know, that's even given that people are being honest when they respond to those surveys. So th- this is not a, a heavily a heavily church attending sort of populace. Uh, but nonetheless, even when I go into Junction City and I'm doing evangelism, if. You ask somebody if they're a Christian, they'll say yes, simply because they attend a church of some kind. And so then trying to evangelize to them, they're almost shut off to the idea that they need to turn from sin and follow Jesus when they think, hey, I've got a membership at this church down here. So I already know that I'm a Christian. You don't have any reason to talk to me about this sort of a thing. <laughs> so sometimes when we're having those conversations, the the conversation will bend this way. And I will say, okay, so you tell me that you're a, you're a member of First Baptist Church. And they'll say, yeah, I'm a member down there, you know, I've gone there and I've pledged my membership and whatever. And I'll say, so if I went over there and I asked them who you were, they would know you. (laughs) And usually at that point, they're kind of wide as a sheet because they, they realize they've been caught. They haven't been there in a long time, and they'll say, "Well, you know, no, I, I haven't been over there in eight months." Actually, one of the guys I most recently talked to said, "I haven't been to church in two years." So, okay, so they have
0: no clue who you
2: are. They're like, well, no, I guess not. I guess they wouldn't know me over there. So that's
0: a, that's a great question because when I when I am in the Bible Belt, everyone's a Christian, right? And everyone everyone makes that claim. I say, oh, "I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian." I, I'm totally stealing that just so you realize. <laughs> With knowledge, I am going to use that next time.
2: <laughs> yeah, would they actually know you if you walk through the doors of that church? And uh, and so, yeah, people will have this idea that just because I got baptized when I was seven or uh, I attended a VBS when I was 12 or I pledged membership to this church six or seven years ago, then I must be a Christian. And I even had a situation happen recently where there was a man in our community who just received a diagnosis diagnosis of cancer. And he came to me at First Southern Baptist and said, I'm a member here. Is there something that the church can do to help me? And I'm looking at him, I'm going, I have no idea who you are. I've, <laughs> I've never met you. So you, like you say, you're a member here. We actually did a membership cleanup about four years ago. And it was like, if we haven't seen, if nobody can identify who these people are, they're not on our membership roster. And so we we narrowed that down a lot, which is very un-Southern Baptist of us to do that.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, <laughs> I, I went through a church where where yeah, we were cleaning the rolls, and it was—it's amazing how all of a sudden people heard we were going to clean the rolls, and they showed up. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and and, no, and was, they wanted I'm, their ability to vote on things they just didn't want to have to attend.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I had a meeting with another pastor in this community and this pastor was trying to tell me of things that he heard that was going on in our church, which was not true. And what he had heard wasn't even true. And he said, well, I have two sources about these things, you know, that I've heard about your church. And, uh, and one of them, uh, just recently PCS, which is a, a term, a military term that they moved to another base. Uh, one, one, person PCS and the other person is still a member at your church. And I, I kind of smirked, you know, and I said, I don't believe you because if they tell you that they're a member at our church, the possibility is they haven't been with us for a few years. They just think that their name is still on the membership roll, and it's really not. So, you know, <laughs> that's a pretty common thing in most Bible Belt uh, uh, states as well as in Kansas that if a person thinks they're a member of a church they're a Christian and yeah. so it's it's a struggle to get over that uh, wall that they've put up and show them how you have transgressed the law of God and how you need a Savior and if you are apart from the body of Christ, how can you uh, be, uh, how can you say that you're a part of Christ if you're not part of his body and so helping people understand church attendance is a requirement as a Christian it is something that Jesus expects of his flock to do that we would gather regularly. And uh, and so helping a person understand they need that as part of uh, of being a disciplined Christian as much as they need to be able to say from their mouths that they are a Christian.
0: And you mentioned the gospel. So I'm gonna take, do a quick commercial and then we I wanna play a game with you. Okay. There's no pressure on you. All the pressure is on me. (laughs) But the game is going to be about the gospel. So let's do that right after this. All right. Ding
3: dong. Jehovah's Witnesses. Ding dong. Mormons. Christian, are you ready to defend the faith when false religions ring your doorbell? Do you know what your Muslim and Jewish friends believe? You will if you get Andrew Rappaport's book, What Do They Believe?, When we witness to people, we need to present the truth. But it is very wise to know what they believe. And you will get Andrew Rappaport's book at com. It's time now to start the spiritual transition
0: game. All right, so Pastor Gabe, this is how we play this game. Okay most people most Christians say that they find it easy to share the gospel when the conversation gets spiritual okay and their struggle they people will tell me they just they pray that God would open an opportunity to share the gospel and I always say you don't need to make that prayer you need to train yourself to take anything from the natural world to the spiritual world. And mm-hmm. if you practice, you can take anything and make that opportunity occur. Okay. So we're going to play this game. And the way All we right. play this is you're going to give me something and whatever you give me, I have to transition to the gospel. And this does not get edited. So if there's long pauses, it's actually because I'm trying to figure it out (laughs) so you give me anything i'm giving
2: you i'm giving you a topic and then you're taking that topic and bringing the gospel into it and i'm gonna change i have to transition from whatever you give me to the gospel all right okay so do you want me to just give you a topic or are we being conversational and i'm i'm talking about something and then you're gonna
0: usually we do a topic but uh you you know if you want to do conversational
2: i could try that (laughs) Oh, I might have to be more creative to do this. So I'll I'll do the, I'll take the less creative route. Uh, <laughs> all right. So the uh, the New Jersey Giants, or as they're otherwise known, the New York Giants.
0: Yeah. Okay. You know the actually I, I find it amazing how many people give me things with sports, <laughs> and, and, and it's it is a running joke because I'm starting to think people do it on purpose because they want to know that I don't. Follow sports. I am pop culture and for the most part, sports illiterate. Though it is, <laughs> it is the the week of the U.S. Open tennis, and that is. I have two sports that I watch. Uh, one of them is tennis, and they my sports are individual sports. However, there is just something being from New Jersey that has always always runs. Um, and you brought it up, runs kind of against us because, you know, here, where is it that the Giants play? They play in New Jersey. Right. Who and gets the Jets. <laughs> And the Jets. And who gets all of the and the, the Knicks, I believe, as well? Or at least I think they moved back to New York now. But there's many teams that play in New Jersey, and yet the credit is given to New York. Now, I mean, this really became an issue with the Super Bowl. I don't know if you remember when the Super Bowl came to New York. Yeah, yeah just a few years. That was the Broncos and the Seahawks,
2: if I remember that right was that i
0: i don't have any idea i did go out and evangelize the folks at out but i didn't i never know who's playing (laughs) but I told you I'm illiterate on these things, right? Bible, maybe I'm, I can handle myself, but you know, team sports, not so much. But here's the thing. You know what drove a bunch of people in Jersey nuts was the NFL experience. All the, the tourism and all the money that came in was in New York. Right. They had the hotels. They had everything. Who do you think got to pay the tax bill for all the security for the Super Bowl? Oh, yeah, that was Jersey. That was Jersey. You yeah, got yeah. that right. I mean, so <laughs> you know, it's a thing where you end up seeing that New York gets all the credit and you know gets to, to reap the benefits of what happens in New Jersey. And you know, though we may think we look at that and sometimes say, you know, that's that seems wrong, but that's actually the agreement that was made up front that this would be called the New York team, even though they play in Jersey, right. and it was accepted. You know, and and this is the thing: there are times when that is not only beneficial, but necessary. In fact, there are things that I have in my life that have absolutely no credit for anything that I've done. I fully, 100% get rewarded and benefited because of the work someone else has done. What I'm speaking about is the fact that because of my life, I'm a rotten person. I've, I've broken laws. I deserve to be as Any criminal should be treated. I should be guilty. But somebody else paid the fine that I should pay. And because of what he did, I get 100% of the benefit of that. That person, you may know of him actually, he's he's the most known name in all of the world and most people use his name as foul language even though he did the ultimate thing that anyone could do for another person. His name is Jesus Christ. Almighty God who came to earth, died on a cross as a payment of sin, that if we turn from trusting ourselves as a good person or our good works and turn and trust what he did on that cross and that alone, we can have eternal life. We have to receive that, but this is what he did. We did nothing to credit it. He did all the work. We get to reap the benefit. That's how I would transition from the the New Jersey Giants. I like how you said that.
2: I, I have to say that uh, that I was incredibly impressed by that because you avoided talking about sports <laughs> <laughs> and still took a sports topic and managed to spin it into the gospel. That
0: was impressive. I enjoyed that. <laughs> well, it is called thirty plus years now of experience. (laughs) that's the thing, you know, you get better at these if you, if you do it, we turned it into a game. I used to do this with our youth group. We would just go around and give different topics and, and you'd find that in a room of 24 people, 25 people, as we had in our youth group, everyone came up with a different thing and you'd start seeing variety in it. And, you know, we play it as a game, but there's many of these times where I remember some of these transitions and those incidents come up and I can go, oh, wait, I remember what someone said here, what I said here. Right. And I go for it.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah the best uh, best teaching tool for evangelism is just getting out and doing it. Amen.
0: <laughs> I, I am fully with you on
2: that. <laughs> yeah, it's just the experience of it. And I mean, you learn how to have those conversations with people and and how to share the gospel. Uh, you can, I, I think Ray Comfort's series on Way of the Master is tremendous, but uh, it's not gonna be beneficial to you until you get out and practice something like that. So uh, so yeah, the best teacher for evangelism is the experience that you get from going out and sharing the gospel with total strangers. So uh, uh, that's a great, uh, a great object lesson you use there to take a topic like that and bring the gospel into it. And, you know,
0: look, I, I, I've been doing it for years. I've, I, I have had someone walk up to me at a conference. I was talking to a couple people and this woman just walks up, and goes, artichoke hearts, gospel, go. <laughs> and it's like, no pressure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I've kind of gotten known for doing this, but but I encourage others to play it. But just like an
2: artichoke heart tastes absolutely terrible, your heart is sinful and (laughs) depraved before a holy God. There you go. (laughs)
0: Yeah, into the gospel now I've tried playing this game you mentioned Ray Comfort I tried playing with like Ray Comfort this is is this his way it doesn't matter you, you gave the, the New York Giants yeah. here's how Ray Comfort would, would transition well speaking of the New York Giants do you consider yourself to be a good person yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, that's his transition <laughs> that's yeah, right uh, I could see that <laughs> yeah with my Kiwi accent not so good but hey Pastor Dave, <laughs> thanks for coming on I, I hope that this was uh, insightful for folks I hope that pastors would be encouraged by it i hope that people in the congregations would be encouraged by this to know what their pastor does anything that you you want to share before we go anything about the, the you know either your church ministry your your podcast your you know the, uh, when we understand the text ministry, which is, I encourage folks to go out there. I'll put the links in the show notes so that you guys can go to those and check out those videos. Anything else you want to share? Yeah, just one
2: final word for pastors, and that is uh, don't expect that the calling that you have to shepherd the flock of God automatically means that your children are getting what you're hoping that your church congregation gets. Mm-hmm. Uh, you still have to show a focus and a love toward your wife and toward your children that is unique and is specific to them and cares for their own spiritual upbringing, and and that is a focus and an emphasis that you have on your family that is separate from the responsibility that you have as a pastor. Among those qualifications that were given in 1 Timothy, it says that if a man is not able to care for his own household, how will he care for the flock of God? So your ministry is first to your family before it is to your church, and do not forget that responsibility. There's also a responsibility upon you, as Andrew and I have talked about over the course of this podcast, to be in the Word and have your own devotional time with God your study doesn't always translate into that quiet time that you have with the Lord uh, and and with prayer, the study that you're giving to your sermon, anyway. So, certainly have that time where the Lord is working on you and growing you in sanctification and in holiness, just as you have a responsibility to help your congregation grow in those things as well.
0: Well, thank you, Pastor Gabe. Thanks for coming on. I'm looking forward to seeing you again this year at Shepherd's Conference.
2: I won't be there this year. I have a. Uh, you said a, that a last conference. year. Yeah, I, I did. Uh, this year year, though, my hands are tied because I, I actually am uh, committed to teaching at a men's conference the same weekend that uh, ShepCon is going on. So, uh, yeah, I won't be I won't be there this year. But if you're going to be at
0: G3, I'll see you there. Ooh. Okay, well, may, I I haven't decided yet.
3: All
2: right,
1: all right.
0: So, <laughs> so it's still still up in the air. But <laughs> but, uh, but folks, just to close out, let you know uh, if you get our newsletter, you know that uh, I'll be speaking coming up in September, October. I'll be out in San Francisco, Coronation, Washington. Uh, I'll be up in uh, Sandpoint, Idaho. Have a couple of things. Got the. I'll be the again able to speak at the New Jersey or the South Jersey Paul Jex conference. And if you're interested in any of those, just email us at info at strivingforattorney.org. dot org. We'll get you the information in those churches that they're at. So if you have any ideas you want us to cover or just give us feedback, because folks, listen, we actually do these podcasts. And the thing that I'm looking at right now is this big black microphone. And that's what I see. Um, and, <laughs> you know, we don't know how this may impact you, how it benefits you, how it helps you. Your feedback is helpful. You can write reviews in iTunes or what you could do is email us and let us know how it's helping you. If you think there's things we could do better, and there's probably lots that we could do better, let us know. I hope this is beneficial to you. I hope that you'll share this maybe even with your pastor so that he might be encouraged. And folks, until next week, we remember to strive to make today an eternal day for the glory of God.
1: This podcast is part of the Striving for Eternity ministry. For more content or to request to speak or seminar to your church. Go to StartingforEternity.org.